Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra. Come to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the in the Pacific Northwest. Today is the eighth day of July, 2022, and we're still on this membrane biochemistry uh, arc of lectures. I want to remind you of a paper I talked about a while back, um, linking interferon and the inflammasome. Now, we know that central nervous system, resident microglia, and, and astrocytes are capable of producing cytokines, specifically of the type 1 interferon. And we know, of course, the type 1 interferons are going to be signaling through a specific receptor called the IFNAR, or the interferon alpha-beta receptor. So... The binding of these type 1 interferons with their receptor will, of course, downstream activate the JAK-STAT signaling pathway. And that leads to the transcriptional activation of what are known as interferon-stimulated genes, or ISGs, which, of course, are going to mediate both pro- and anti-inflammatory functions. And... The result of that dialectic is what is the cellular environment in which this induction has taken place, whether or not it's pro or anti. So indeed, the type 1 interferon response in the CNS will arise from infections and also from TBIs, traumatic brain injuries, and also from neurodegeneration. So all three of those pathologies can induce type 1 interferon production. So what that means is that the type 1 interferons can be protective or they can be very deleterious. So think about multiple sclerosis. In the MS patients, T1 interferons are believed to exert and perform an anti-inflammatory response. And that occurs via the production of an anti-inflammatory cytokine subsequent to type 1 interferon binders receptor. And that, of course, is cytokine IL-10. While IL-10 is kicked up, you also get a simultaneous suppression of the pro-inflammatory cytokine IL-1-beta. So if you ever wondered, that's why interferon-beta is a first-line therapy for MS, because it limits the infiltration of lymphocytes into the brain while decreasing the relapse rate in spite of evidence that overexpression of interferon alpha associates with neuroinflammation and neurodegeneration. Okay? So see the subtle differences here. So obviously that means that the interferon subtype, the titration of that subtype according to its receptor, and the cellular residency domain are all critical to what could have been considered a contrarian or contradictory response, and you see now it's not, okay? Nothing more than another expression of the dialectic. Now, I want to <clears throat> bring you back to some discussion of apoptosis. So, to understand apoptosis, you should also think about necrosis. Necrosis is uncontrolled cell death. So, it's usually premature death of a cell, and it's caused most commonly by the disruption of the cell membrane by direct injury. 
Sometimes it can also be the uptake of toxins and also nutritional deprivation. So the cell loses functional control and there is basically a destabilization of the plasma membrane, but also the organellar membranes. That will then lead to the swelling of the cell and the organelles due to an increased osmotic pressure. And what happens then is the cell basically ruptures. What happens subsequently to that is a release of the contents of the cell. These would include polypeptides, lipids, nucleic acids, carbohydrates, and multiple combinations therein. And of course, that's going to induce an inflammatory response, and that can cause damage to surrounding tissues. Now, compare that to apoptosis, which is programmed cell death. It's obviously a controlled event. It's regulated by many molecular signals, both intrinsic and extrinsic. And some of those signals can retard or inhibit the full development of the apoptotic process. Mitochondrial, uh, mitochondrial proteins obviously play a role here. And those mitochondrial proteins tend to be cytochrome C, uh, in the outer membrane, and those appear to initiate the canonical apoptotic response. But you also get catabolic reactions, and they're triggered upon the apoptotic induction. And what that what they will amount to is the digestion of cytoplasmic components, including cytoskeletal proteins. The plasma membrane undergoes an irregular bulging, and we call that in membrane biochemistry, blebbing. And of course, the cell contents become repackaged within these membrane bulges. And then subsequently, that subsequently, excuse me, responds and results in a safe removal of the contents. Ultimately, the cell will shrink and fragments will uh, be generated because of that blebbing into what are now called apoptotic bodies. And those are going to be subsequently engulfed by macrophages. Therefore, the elimination of that apoptotic cell will not normally lead to an inflammatory response. So one more thing to say in necrosis, you get random degradation of DNA. Whereas in apoptosis, you get a chromatin condensation and a non-random DNA degradation of specific molecular mass. So let me get into some detail here about a paper I found published in 2005 in Molecular Cell Biology. This deals with the FASL and gamma interferon system, which is which activates T cells and natural killer cells and can, if they're both induced, synergistically result in apoptosis. Now, both those cytokines, FASL and gamma interferon, will also elicit a, pro, a, a canonical pro-inflammatory response. So you get a crosstalk, basically, of these ligands with, it, with respect to the non-apoptotic signaling. So 
If you look at interferon gamma, what it does is it'll sensitize cells for apoptosis. And that induction will then be facilitated by the death-inducing signaling complex, also known as DISC, DISC. And that will then mediate the downstream caspase, that's a protease, eight, processing. After some protection against the death receptor-induced apoptosis by caspase inhibition, interferon gamma will also sensitize cells for FAS and TRAIL death receptor-mediated NF-kappa-B activation, which is a transcription factor, of course, and that will lead then to the synergistic upregulation of a variety of pro-inflammatory genes. Now, in contrast to that, FAS-mediated activation of the junk P38, P4244 protein system will essentially be independent of the interferon gamma sensitization. Now, what that suggests is that apoptosis and the NF-kappa-B-related FASL interferon gamma will crosstalk. But it's not due, that crosstalk is not due just because you increase FAS signaling. Appears that overexpression of two other proteins called FLIP1 or FLIPL, excuse me, and FLIPS will inhibit the FAS as well as the trail mediated NF kappa B activation and subsequent apoptosis induction in those interferon gamma prime cells. Ultimately, what that suggests is both responses are co-regulated at the level of the death-inducing signaling complex. Now, this is a paper that was published some 17 years ago. I want you to keep that in mind, okay? So when you have not necrosis, but necrotosis, this is a signaling-based necrotic destruction of the cell, but it will involve a series of these proteins I was just talking about. So, for example, FASL, that's the ligand, will bind to the two death domains, FAD-D. Actually, there'll be a dimer of FAD, two, two FAD-Ds. Those will turn on a protein called RIP, which will then go into the mitochondrion and generate reactive oxygen. At the same time, the trail proteins will turn on another phosphorylated another protein called TRIP, which will also induce RIP and also induce reactive oxygen. The TNFR receptor binding to its ligand will be linked to a series of proteins at the plasma membrane. Those include RAC1, NOXA1, P22, and NOXO1. All those are going to ultimately generate right from a plasma membrane superoxide. And superoxide and also hydrogen peroxide will be generated, further causing necrotosis. Okay. Now, more on the RIP, the RIP will turn on the IKK-mediated response. And you're going to get, that will include an IK-beta and an NF-kappa-B induction of more NF-kappa-B, 
which will generate a manganese superoxide dismutase, which will start to repeal that reactive oxygen production. But you'll also get a ferrodoxin-generated response, which will give you oxidized iron, and that oxidized iron will enhance more reactive oxygen. Now, this is all occurring in the nucleus, okay? Now, the nucleus is also going to be induced for DNA damage repair, and that's going to turn on the PARP mechanism, and the PARP mechanism can actually induce mutation, further in causing the necrotosis of the cell. Now, caspase-8, if it was generated by the Fazel ligand fad complex, would have, been, would have gone down the apoptotic pathway, and that would have blocked necrotosis. But with all these other competing signals, that's not what happens. So a couple of other things to think about with necrotosis. You get tumor necrosis factor alpha injury. And you also get it, you can also get that same injury by um, activating any form of an acid sphingomyelinase. Now, the acid sphingomyelinase tends to be in the endosomes or in the phagolysosome. When that's turned on, you get ceramide production, and ceramide <coughs> is a great inducer of necrotosis. Okay. Now, you can compare that to apoptosis. Apoptosis, of course, is going to have multiple signaling pathways, um, including cytokines like interleukin-3, the TNF-alpha, but here the TNF-alpha will bind to receptor 1 complex, and that will induce a series of downstream kinases, the TRADs and the FADs and the RIPs and the TRAF2. These can all lead to the production of sphingosine, and hydrogen peroxide in the lysosome, which will generate cathepsin, which will block BCXL and caspase 7, caspase 3 pathway. Now, so what you're doing here is you're repealing the necrotosis response here. Okay. You also have an NF-kappa B signaling pathway and a MAP kinase signaling pathway which once, it, once, it's, uh, once the factors that are associated with MAP kinase are phosphorylated, you get fresh expression of BCL2, which is a pro-survival gene. Okay? And, and also you get the production of P53. And ultimately, the, the response is going to cause DNA fragmentation. And that DNA fragmentation will lead to apoptosis. So you see that there are distinct players involved between apoptosis and necrotosis. Okay? And I already mentioned how online necrosis functions. So now let's move to a paper published in Oncogene in 2009. To evade apoptosis, there is a process of epigenetic silencing of the caspase A. Of course, caspase 8 is a key component of the extrinsic apoptotic pathway, which I was just discussing. So the loss of caspase 8 
correlates with a poor prognosis in certain cancers, including medulloblastoma. So that's showing you how apoptosis protects against tumorogenesis. Okay. So as it turns out, if you use a combinatorial approach in this system and you treat with a histone deacetylase inhibitor together with interferon gamma, you can restore caspase 8 expression and that will overcome the resistance to the death receptor ligand TNF-alpha-related apoptotic-inducing ligand. That's the trail I mentioned. And this occurs in medulloblastoma cells in vitro and also in vivo. So the histone deacetylase inhibition can be affected by valproic acid, subaryl analyte, and also hydroxamic acid. And all of those inhibitors cooperate with interferon gamma to upregulate caspase 8 in cancer cells when they're lacking the expression of caspase 8 and thereby you restore the sensitivity of those cancer cells to the trail-induced apoptotic event. So there are lots of studies that show that valproic acid actually promotes histone acetylation and will act in concert with interferon gamma to stimulate caspase 8 via enhancement of transcription. What occurs then is obviously you get more caspase A transcript and translation to polypeptide. That will then downstream enhance the trail-induced activation of the caspase A response at the level of that disc I just mentioned to you, the death-inducing signaling complex, right? Remember I told you everything focuses on that complex. So what this means is the mitochondrial outer membrane permeabilization, and then the resultant caspase-dependent cell death are all a function of that response through the disc, right? So, and of course, it's trail-induced, so that you're getting now a trail-induced apoptotic event. So remember that valproic acid and interferon gamma will restore the caspase-8 expression and sensitivity to trail all in those primary medulloblastoma cells. So what occurs is a potentiation of the trail-mediated suppression of the medulloblastoma cell division. And what this suggests is that valproic acid in combination with interferon gamma induction will restore caspase 8 expression and therefore apoptosis, the extrinsic pathway, and that can occur in cancers, specifically in cancers that have a caspase 8 silencing phenotype. Okay. So remember the death signals for cells are TNF alpha, and you also have the CD95 ligand, FAS ligand. Okay. And that's going to bind to proteins in the membrane. Those are called death receptors, like CD95 is a death receptor. And, it, it, and those domains of the protein will then generate programmed cell death. 
Those are called death domains, right? We just went through these. All right. And actually, when that binding occurs, the receptor trimerizes. So when ligand binds, the receptor trimerizes in the membrane, and that's what induces the response. So FAD D is FAS associated death domain. It's a polypeptide. And it will be recruited because of the death domain complex. So you have a death effector domain of the FAD D, and that recruits the procaspase 8 via the DED, right? The, that, that is the death enhancing domain. That's all part of the disc complex. I'm giving you detail of that. So FAD caspase 8 complex then brings multiple pro-caspase 8 molecules together. That's an induced proximity aggregation. You get cross activation and you get finally an activated caspase 8. And the Caspase 8 occurs as a heterotetramer and it's released now from the disc membrane complex into the cytoplasm, thus inducing apoptosis. Okay. So that's all the death ligand. Now the cell intrinsic pathway, if I haven't told you enough about the extrinsic, I want to make sure that I cover the, the other one, right? The intrinsic pathway. You can get DNA damage, which is going to turn on P53. P53 will turn on two other proteins, PUMA and NOX-A, which will then activate BACs and BAC, which will then cause the mitochondria to release cytochrome C, and also two other proteins, the APAF1 and the SMAC Diablo. So the APAF1 will basically then activate caspase 9, which will then activate caspase 8 and 10, which will go back to turn on the backs and back pro reprogramming. Okay. Now, that SMAC Diablo protein that was turned on by mitochondrial uh, membrane corruption, disruption, will also induce a protein called IAP, and IAP will block caspase 9 being um, activate, the full activation to caspases 3, 6, and 7. And the P53 will also be triggered because of DNA damage. Now, all of this then will lead to programmed cell death because of the massive amounts of caspase 8 and caspase 10. But without any of the death ligand, and death-mediated extrinsic responses, the trail responses and all that, the disc response, all that's not there, okay? And the, basically the caspase 8 cleaves this pro-apoptotic BID protein. And BID interacts with the pro-apoptotic BCL2 and the two relatives I just mentioned, the backs and the back. That all amplifies an apoptotic induction through the cell, path, the cell pathway. All right. So PNF-alpha will signal to NF-kappa-B transcription factors. NF-kappa-B factors are anti-apoptotic, usually. They'll activate pro-survival BCL11, 
and the IAPs. They'll also activate the pro-apoptotic FAS, FAS ligand, P53. But that's then a tissue-specific molecular decision because you need the combinatorial response of the promoter enhancer regions being available because of chromatin retailering and the selective activation and binding of individual NF-kappa B proteins. Finally, the NF-kappa B factors can turn on inflammatory, pro-inflammatory cytokines, chemokines, as well as receptors for those two glycosylate uh, peptides and cell adhesion molecules. And then all of that will turn on a central immune response, which is basically anti-apoptotic in the cells involved. Okay. Now I told you all that because I'm leading up to another prime example where when you look at the membrane of a cell and you have to talk about which cells, cell lineages you're talking about here. Right now we've been talking about immune cells. But depending on the cell and depending on the trajectory of interferon gamma, you can generate interferonopathies. And these can lead to massive tissue death or if they are blocked to the potential for an oncogenic event because of the massive amount of mutations being generated due to reactive oxygen and the pro-inflammatory response, which is erstwhile triggered. Okay? So that's what, that's what the topic is going to be for next time. So I'm going to stop here because I, I, I can see I have a few minutes left, but I really want to finish now. I, I, that was a whole apoptotic, necrototic lecture. And I know I went kind of fast over it, but I wanted to give you all that information so that when we talk, start talk, going back to the membrane and going back to what's going on with lipids in the membrane, I can refer to those events, those apoptotic events and those cell death events. And you can see where how the lipid involvement plays a significant role there. Right there, we're just talking about proteins, right? And gene expression. And you know that the membrane does a lot of biophysical phenomena, and that's going to be the next target of the uh, lectures. So I'm going to stop here. It's Dr. Dan Guerra on the 8th of July, 2022, saying bye for now.